This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining us today across all of our campuses as well as online. And believe it or not, we are heading into the last two weeks of our six-week journey called No Greater Love. And for the last month, we've been exploring this connection between love and sacrifice. Because while as the culture around us describes love as a a feeling, an emotion, a strong attraction or affection for another person, we've discovered that God, who by the way is the inventor of this whole love thing, describes love very differently. That God says love is not just simply how we feel about somebody, but it's really what we're willing to do for somebody. That love is best expressed through a willingness to sacrifice on behalf of others. In fact, notice these words of Jesus from John 15, 13. Jesus says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. At its heart, love is a choice. It is an act of the will. It is a commitment. Love is a willingness to sacrificially put the needs of another ahead of my own. Let me say that again. Love is a willingness to sacrificially put the needs of another ahead of our own. Let me say it one more time. Love is a willingness to sacrificially put the needs of another ahead of my own. And the reason I'm hammering away at this point is not just to make sure you get the right answer on your Sunday school Bible quiz of what is love. The reason I want you to get this is because when we view love as simply an emotion, it creates tremendous damage in our lives. See, if love is just an emotion and not a commitment, then I will end up bouncing through life from relationship to relationship because when I've lost that loving feeling, then I'm gone and on to the next one. When love is just a feeling, I end up opening myself up to physical intimacy with someone just based on how I feel about them in the moment. And without that deep commitment, that kind of physical intimacy driven simply by emotion creates deep damage to our soul. It leaves us with wounds that sometimes take years, maybe even decades to heal from. When love is just a feeling, I end up with unhealthy codependency in my relationships with others. I'm unwilling to say no, even when no is the best answer because it doesn't feel very loving to put limits on relationships. Look, if you don't get anything else throughout this whole series, I want you to get this idea of what love truly is. Because if not, it's going to mess up your life and you're going to keep bouncing through life just on the surface and never experiencing the deep, rich life 
that God has called us to live. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? This means yes, this means no. Good. All right, I'll get off my soapbox, but I just felt like I needed to say all that. Now, these last several weeks, we've been looking at individuals who demonstrate their love for God and love for others through sacrifice, right? Abraham was willing to sacrifice what was most important to him, his, his son Isaac, as an expression of love and his trust in God. Moses, we saw, had to sacrifice his excuses in order to follow God's call for his life. And then last week, we looked at Ruth and Naomi, these incredible women who, in spite of the, their own uncertainties and struggles in their life, were willing to sacrificially serve one another, and in doing so, they found God's blessings in the brokenness of their lives. And while each of these people sacrificed differently, the one thing they all had in common is those sacrifices were built on faith. See, not only is there a link between love and sacrifice, there's a link between sacrificing and faith. You know, I've said throughout this series, you, you can't love without being willing to sacrifice. And I believe you won't really sacrifice unless you have faith in God, right? In other words, the more I believe that God loves me, the more I trust him, the more secure I become in that love of God for me, the more willing I am to express love by sacrificially serving others. Check out what the Bible says in 1 John 4. It says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Do you see that connection between God's love for us and our ability to love others sacrificially? And so I want to kind of shift from focusing on just service and sacrifice to looking at a little bit at the faith behind that service and that sacrifice. And to help us do that, we're going to look at a lady whose entire life was marked by sacrificial faith. Her, her name is Mary, and while she's best known as being the mother of Jesus, there's so much more to her sacrificial life of faith than just that first Christmas morning. And so we're going to walk through some key events in Mary's life because I believe they will show some keys for us in how to live or have a sacrificial faith. Four things I want us to look at. One, to have a sacrificial faith, I have to let confusion and questions lead to commitment. I have to let the confusion and questions I have lead me to commitment. How many of you have some confusing circumstances in your life? How many of you have some confusion right now? Things in your life that don't make sense, right? Many of you. How many of you have some questions, right, about God, about what he's doing or what he's not doing, right? That's many of us. And we tend to think of confusions and questions as having a lack of faith. But in reality, it's the beginning of faith. If you don't have any confusion, if you don't have any questions, if you got it all figured out, you know anything and everything, what would you need faith for? It's in our confusion and in our questions when life doesn't make sense that is the beginning of faith. When we're first introduced to Mary, she's a young teenage girl living in a backwater village of Nazareth. 
Most of you know this story. She's just living her life, doing her thing, planning on getting married in the future. And then all of a sudden, an angel appears to her. And check out this conversation, Luke 1, 28 and 29. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And then check this out. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. Mary's first response to God moving and working in her life is confusion. It doesn't make sense to her. Two reasons she's confused. One, because an angel just showed up. I don't know if you've ever had an angel show up around you. I've never had that, but I'm pretty sure it's discombobulating, right? In fact, every encounter I read in the Bible where an angel appears to somebody, it freaks them out a little bit. So that would create some confusion, but there's a second easy-to-miss thing that confuses Mary, and that is the way the angel addresses her. The angel says, greeting you who are highly favored. And the reason that was confusing to Mary is because that was the kind of greeting that was reserved for very important people. That's how you greeted a king or a priest or a prophet or a a leader. You know, hail you who are blessed, who are highly favored. And so the angel saying that to Mary creates a little confusion for her. It doesn't fit with how she sees herself, right? Remember, she's a very young peasant girl more than likely unable to read or write. She's a simple girl living in a simple place. And this angel representing God addresses her like a king or a prince or a priest or a prophet. It doesn't fit her view of who she sees herself to be. And I think for all of us, how God really sees us is a long way from how we really see ourselves. What if I were to tell you that you are deeply loved, valuable, and worthy of being loved? Is that how you see yourself? Deeply loved, no matter what, unconditionally? Or let's say you're driving home today, and an angel suddenly appears in the car beside you and says, greetings, very important person, and then disappears. Would you be thinking, wrong car? Right? I'm not important. I don't matter. Sacrificial faith begins with seeing yourself the way that God sees you. Loved. Your life matters. You have a purpose and a meaning. You can make a difference in the lives of people around you. But look, for Mary, it's not just confusion about how she sees herself. She's got some questions for God, right? Because the angel says, greetings, highly favored one. You're about to have a child. And look at what Mary says, Luke 1, How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Legit question, right? I, I'm going to get married, but I, I'm not married yet. I've never been with a man. How can this happen? That This would be a miracle. This would have to be an immaculate conception, right? You see what's happening there? She's got questions. And by the way, do you know what God's answer to Mary's question was? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing is impossible for God. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, God is going to do in and through you, Mary, more than you could ever, ever imagine you could do on your own. See, that's what happens when God moves and works in your life. It leads to questions because it's not usually in the way we expect it to happen. Remember, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are different than our thoughts. So, so you can allow those questions and that confusion to sideline you in fear, or you can do what Mary does. Just commit in faith. Look at what she says, Luke 1, 38. I am the Lord's servant. I don't understand it. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know why it would be me, but I am here to serve you. Look, I don't know the questions you have. I don't know the confusing circumstances that are creating struggles and pain and uncertainty in your life, and I'm surely not up here trying to minimize it. I'm just saying you have a choice. You can cower in fear, or you can step out in faith and commit Lord, I'm your servant. Whatever you want to do, I'm saying yes. Number two, the second lesson we learned from Mary is we have to let chaos lead to focus. Let chaos lead to focus. See, one of the biggest misconceptions about a life of faith is that it leads to smooth sailing. If I follow Jesus and live in faith that my life is going to get easier, better, more manageable, right? You'd think after Mary said, I don't understand it, but I'm your servant, she makes this huge commitment to trust God, to say yes, even though she doesn't even know what that means. You'd think her life would get better. Not. It actually gets worse. You know the story, right? Her fiance, Joe's going to divorce her. Nobody in the village believes her story about an immaculate conception. And then nine months into her pregnancy, she has to make this long trip to Bethlehem because of some stupid government program, you know. And, and when she gets there, there's no room at the end. So she's got to give birth where animals live in that filthy place. And then after she finally gets birth and thinks she's going to rest and have a little peace, a bunch of grimy shepherds show up and say, we want to see the baby. We want to see the baby. And yet, in all of that chaos, notice her reaction. Luke 2, 19. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Today, we'd call that uh, being in the moment. We, we would call it mindfulness, a moment of mindfulness. But look, this is not some new age Jedi mind trick that Mary is playing here. This is just a choice she makes to choose to focus on what God is doing rather than the chaos going on around her. It's just a choice she makes. Do you have some chaos in your life right now? Maybe some chaos going on with your kids, your work, your finances, your marriage. I'm certainly not minimizing that chaos, but I am saying in the middle of it, you have a choice. You can focus on all that chaos or you can focus on what God is doing in and through that chaos. We have to let confusion and questions move us to commitment. Chaos lead us to focus. And then number three, let fear and failure lead to growth. Let fear and failure lead to growth. Now we're going to fast forward 
12 years from the manger. Right? Jesus is no longer a baby. Mary and Joseph are back from Egypt. They're in Nazareth, and they're making their annual family trip to Jerusalem for a week of Passover feast, right? And they're there, they're in the city, they celebrate the Passover. After the festival's over, they're heading back home, returning back to Nazareth, and notice what happens, Luke 2. Thinking he, thinking Jesus, 12-year-old Jesus, was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends when they did not find him. They went back to Jerusalem to look for him. You see what's happening, right? They have lost the Son of God. God, we don't don't know where he is. We've lost him. Not a real good parenting day, right? Moms and dads, Look, for a parent, this is your worst nightmare. Anybody ever lost a child for a, you know, a period? Right. Terry and I, multiple times. But we had five, ages five and under, so a little bit of grace here. But right, as a parent, when you lose a child, two overwhelming emotions. One, obviously, fear, panic. There's complete panic. Where are they? Are they safe? I got to get to them. But you know what another emotion you feel in those situations? is guilt, Right? I'm such a crappy parent. I can't believe, DSS is gonna come take these kids away from me. You've got this mix of guilt and fear, right? And so the Bible says they rush back to Jerusalem and believe me, they rushed and they, they finally find Jesus and guess where he is? He's in the temple and guess what he's doing? He is teaching the teachers of the nation of Israel. This 12-year-old boy is teaching the teachers, and he's doing it in a way that no one has ever seen. And so Mary and Joseph get there, they see Jesus, and notice their reaction, Luke 2, 48. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. Now, I looked this verse up at, in blueletterbible.com, and I wanted to see what this word astonished was in the Greek. And it certainly means amazed, like you would think it does, but, but it also means, this is so interesting, it means to have something knocked out of you. Like, it's like being slapped up against the head, like to see something that you've never seen, or to see something in a way you have never seen it before. It's like having your eyes open. It's like an aha moment. And, and I believe for Mary, even though she knew that Jesus was Messiah, the Son of God, I believe that day she saw 12-year-old Jesus in a different light. She saw him in a way she had never really seen him before. Now, if you read the rest of the verses, it's obvious she didn't fully understand it because she's like, how could you do this to me? You're going back with us and you're probably going to get spanked. No, I added that part just for the sake of my kids. But anyway, that's kind of her re- response. But I'm convinced this is a pivotal moment of growth for Mary. And here's why I say that because Dr. Luke, who writes this book, in verse 51, uses that same phrase from the birth narrative. Mary treasured these things in her heart. See, spiritual growth is not just knowing more about Jesus. 
It's seeing Jesus in a, in a different way, a way you've not seen him before. It's a better understanding of Jesus and then allowing that better understanding to change the way you think and live. And our fears and our failures are one of the best opportunities we have to see Jesus in a new and different way and to be willing to trust him a little more to take that next step he's calling you to. And then finally, number four, maybe the most difficult and most important lesson we learned from Mary about having a sacrificial faith, and that is we gotta let pain and grief lead me closer to Jesus. Let the pain and grief in my life lead me closer to Jesus. See, our tendency when we experience pain and grief is to push Jesus away or to think that he's left us, that he's abandoned us. And yet the Bible said those brokenhearted moments in life are often our greatest opportunity to experience God's presence in a deeper and closer way. God is close to the brokenhearted and he heals those who are crushed in spirit. I believe it is completely impossible for any of us to imagine what it was like for Mary to watch her son Jesus suffer and die right in front of her eyes. She wasn't hiding out in Nazareth. She wasn't reading an autopsy report weeks later. She was right there. Notice John 19, 25. It says, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. Now listen, because we know how the story ends, it's easy for us to gloss over this pivotal and painful moment in Mary's life. She is literally watching her son suffocate over hours nailed to a tree. She can see the pain right in front of her. And look, she, she doesn't fully know anything about a resurrection coming, that he's gonna be back. She doesn't fully understand this whole forgiveness thing that Jesus' death has provided. She just knows that's her baby. She's held that baby in her arms and she's loved him deeply every day of her life. See, this is an aspect of the faith life that we preachers don't like to talk about, and it's this truth. A life of sacrificial faith will lead you to a broken heart. And you say, well, why would I want to have a life of faith if it's going to lead me to a broken heart? Because here's the thing, your heart's going to get broken no matter what. You live long enough, life will break your heart. The question is, do you want your heart broken over your own selfish pursuits or do you want it broken in pursuit of a bigger purpose, something that can make a difference, something bigger than just you? Because that's the thing about broken hearts. Broken hearts are open hearts. Broken hearts are open to the pain and the struggles and the difficulties of others. 
And I'm telling you, if you truly follow Jesus, he will always lead you to the broken and the hurting because that's where his heart is. You step up and serve sacrificially on your campus on Sunday mornings, and I promise you, you're going to encounter people in horrible, broken, difficult, painful circumstances. And sometimes it will be little children in our kids' creek who come out of homes none of us can imagine. You step out to serve with your home group, with one of our community partners, and you're going to come face to face with broken and hurting people. You're going to have your heart broke. You go on a global outreach trip with us and go to some place like Guatemala or other places and you're going to see whole communities in, in the kinds of brokenness we could never even imagine in our wildest dreams. You follow Jesus, it will break your heart, but it does not end with a broken heart. Following Jesus leads to the new thing that God is doing the reason I know that is because the last place we see Mary is not at the cross. It's not even at the empty tomb. The last place we see Mary is sitting in that upper room with the disciples after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. Notice Acts 1.14. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. See, she's right there, front row seat to the birth of the church. She's a part of this new thing that God is doing to bring hope to the world. And it all started with a teenage girl who was just willing to simply say, Lord, I am your servant. Whose servant are you? Who are you serving? Are you serving yourself, your own desires, your own dreams and pursuits? Are you serving the culture around you, just trying to fit in and be liked? Or are you serving the God who loves you unconditionally, sacrificed everything to be in relationship with you so that you could follow him into the homes and lives of the broken and spend your life being a part of something that truly matters and lasts for all eternity. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for just this picture, this example of Mary's life that she's not just some statue in a manger scene at Christmas. That she's as real as we are. And that she chose to say yes, even in her fears, her failures, her struggles. And that she reminds us that if a peasant, illiterate teenage girl in a backwater village could be a part of changing the world by simply saying yes to you, then what could that mean for us? 
with all of our education, with all of our resources, with all of the freedoms we have, what could you do, Lord, if we would just simply say yes and take whatever that next step is? Oh, Jesus, we love you. Pour out your spirit because that's the only way anything moves and works in our lives is through your Holy Spirit. We need you, Jesus, and we love you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.